0: Well, hello. hello. Greetings to all. We're in a different place here at our church in Green Bay. Welcome to everybody, our campuses in Stevens Point and Appleton, and all those who watch around, all around the world on the internet. No intro even tonight, just we're on. So we're all set and ready to go. Good to see y'all. Y'all have a good Thanksgiving. Yeah. I'm still waiting for some of your presents, by the way. I, I checked with UPS. It was my birthday on Sunday, and I almost got lost. I'm looking for the cars and stuff. you know. Come in. <laughs> Pastor Steve Corona, stand up, say hi to everybody. Just stand up, wave everybody. One of my best friends in the world, Pastor Steve Corona. I don't know if you guys in the video can't see him, but that's okay. He's from Raleigh, North Carolina. If you've ever read my book, Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage, which I'm sure most of you have memorized by now. Uh, chapter 1 talks about a slightly embarrassing event. <laughs> it was all done at his church. Very funny. Now, I remember actually when the first time I spoke at his church, I was doing a marriage seminar. And uh, finally got to the sex part. You know, I saw the, the drama. You know, Everybody's waiting for the sex part. So I got right in the middle. Just when I started talking about sex, he runs right up onto the platform right in front of me and says, you have to stop right now. And I'm thinking... Well, this is a first, you know. what was also saying, he says, it's snowing. And of course, they panic in North Carolina. It's a snowing? Seriously? Yes, everyone's panicking. So everybody got out of there and they're all freaking out. So uh, in, in fairness to our brethren from the Carolinas in the South, they get something we don't get up here. It's called black ice. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced it. It's nasty stuff. We think it's, see, we get more like a rhyme ice There's parts of the ice around here. You actually get more traction than the snow. You know what I'm saying? Because it's kind of rough and stuff like that. Not there. I mean, it is pure black slick. You can't see it until you're doing woo. So anyway, they freaked and I was okay. Anyway, we are doing our Bible study. going verse by verse through the Bible. We are in the New Testament. We're going in the order uh, that it was written. Uh, and not in the order that it's uh, presented in the Bible for some bizarre reason. They don't actually put it in the order that it was written. Uh, It's not that big of a deal so much in the New Testament. It's very confusing in the Old Testament. If you're going to start from the beginning of the Old Testament just trying to read it through, you are not going to understand 75% of what is going on. It is all out of order. I don't know who sat down and said, let's put these books in this order. I mean, it's not even close to where it should be. So they actually make a chronicle. Uh, Bibles. We can actually, they're actually the Bible was put in order. And if you really want to make it a much easier read, I'd recommend you get one of those chronological Bible. New Testament is not quite as dramatic, but it's still more fun. It's a little more clear when you actually read it in the order. So we've gone through the book of Acts. As we were going through the book of Acts, we would stop every time when Paul would write one of his letters we would read those letters. It made more sense because it's in the context of what was going on at the time. Now he's in Rome. He's been arrested uh, not too terribly long before he dies. A couple of theories. Some say that he died, you know, at the end of writing these letters. Others say he got released for a little while and then got rearrested. It doesn't really matter, but we're at the end. And he writes a few of these letters. We're at the, uh, the uh, pastoral letters. So he writes uh, to Timothy. We went through First and Second Timothy. Actually, some say that this next book we're supposed to read, Titus, should be between First and 2 Timothy, but it doesn't really matter. It's all written while he's uh, under arrest in Rome. He writes to these two young pastors and uh, gives them advice about how to pastor and stuff. So now we are in Titus. This is the second young pastor that he is uh, writing to. Kind of a new character for us. We don't read about him in the book of Acts. He's not mentioned but he's all part of it, which clearly lets us know there's all kinds of things that we don't know that happen. You know, when Paul talks about I was saved from the lion, you know, we got re- remember at the end of second. Timothy, what lion? <laughs> when did that happen? There's all kinds of stuff that happened. They didn't record every single thing. So anyway, so his interaction with Titus, Titus is a guy he's left on the island of Crete. And uh, so he's writing now to him. I like this, this is my, one of my favorite Letters in the New Testament. It's a very short. <laughs> that's it. One page, on this side, that side. I like it because it's short, and uh, and it's very clear and to the point. And everything he talks about, it's very very clear, and I like that. He basically says the same things when he writes to Timothy, but he makes it more complicated and longer. And he talks about things, you know, like don't get involved in stupid arguments that don't have any meaning, and you lot of arguments, and they didn't really explain it. When he mentions it in Titus, he's very clear. Don't get in arguments that lead to this, that, or the other, which clearly is what he was talking about in Timothy, but now becomes very clear, very direct, to the point. I like it. It's a very nice little letter. So let's read it. Starting at verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect, God's chosen people, uh, called to Christ is what he's really talking about, and to and their knowledge of the truth that leads to... Godliness, anything that you hear about in the scriptures should be to benefit you. When did we get a chandelier? <laughs> what? Father-daughter the father-daughter ball. And I thought, let's just keep it hanging. How could I just now notice this while I'm talking to you? That There's a chandelier hanging in the middle. of the Anyway. Everything that you hear should be leading you to some version of godliness, which means to be like God. More, uh, uh, and He's He's holy. He's righteous. He's true. Now, now the other reason I bring this is because sometimes people teach things, and Paul warns about this that don't lead to godliness. Actually, leads to the opposite of it. For example, there's there's versions of uh, grace that are being taught. Uh, uh, around the world today, nothing new. This has been going on since 2000 years ago when the church was first being established. But you know, they, they got this version of grace that I call grease. I mean, it's not really grace. It's just, uh, it, base, it basically leads you away from godliness. And if, and if you're not really careful, it's easy to get sucked into these things. For example, one of the ways they'll talk, they'll talk about the power of the cross. We believe in the power of the cross, right? The power of the cross settles everything. Jesus' blood settles everything. He has made it possible for the sins of the world to be forgiven. It's great. It's wonderful. We don't even have to worry about sins anymore. In fact, we don't even have to ask God to forgive us anymore because it's all covered, and, 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 and we don't have to worry about what we do and don't because it's all covered. There's nothing you can do that will ever separate you from God. Did you hear some of the heresy there? See, the idea that it covers all sins, so you never have to apologize. Well, well wait a minute. Uh, John wrote, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive ourselves. You still need to confess your sins, but they say it in such a way and you're kind of getting caught up in it. And what it means, it doesn't really matter what we do now. You know if, if you've, you know, if you're not a Christian, it's a problem. You know, if you fornicate not as a Christian, that's a sin. But once you're a Christian, you can fornicate. It doesn't really matter. Because it's covered, the cross does everything. Woo, hallelujah. And everybody's shouting, woo, the cross covers everything. But at the end of the day, what do they do? They're pushing you away from God. They're actually encouraging people to sin. To sin brazenly. To sin without any sense of guilt or remorse. They, they sear their conscience with a hot iron. Uh, and, they do, and they claim grace. Doesn't matter what we do. You can commit adultery. It's, it's, it's under the blood, man. You know, it's, the only thing you've got to worry about is your wife when she gets mad at you about it. That's, I mean, seriously, that's the way they talk about it. You know, if you're gay, it doesn't really matter. And, and then none of these things because the cross covers it all. And, and you kind of get confused. Well, the cross does cover all our sins, and, and they twist things and stuff. So that at the end of the day, these are people, they never give any money. Why would you give? If you didn't think anything mattered, why would you do anything? As a result, people do Nothing that hear this. They don't really church, attend church very regularly, or they go just to have their ears scratched from time to time to hear some one of these ridiculous concepts. Uh, they don't fast. They don't pray. They don't, and any sin they want to do, they just do it. Celebrating the cross. You see what I'm talking about? See, when you hear stuff like that, it's garbage, and it is destructive. Because it says all of this is to further the faith of God's people and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, being more like God. God doesn't commit adultery. God does not fornicate. God does not lie, steal, cheat, do all the different things that people don't care about, get drunk, all, you know, get hiles. And there's a big chunk of people, particularly in this country, that are caught up in this thing. I call it extreme grace. And they celebrate it at the highest of levels, and they kind of dismiss any parts of the Bible that challenge that kind of thinking. And, uh, and they just basically, it leads them to ungodliness. They're celebrating it. They love Jesus. I mean, do you hear me? See, you, things can be worded in such ways that you kind of go, I don't know, that, that kind of makes sense. Well, well, yeah, but think it through. What's it leading you to? Is it making me more like God, closer to God, more devout, more committed? Or is it basically giving you a green light to live like a pig? If it's the green light to pigdom, it is not of the Lord. Somebody say amen. 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 All right, so a lot of that stuff. So you got to watch out for those kinds of things. All of this, the point of all of these teachings, any of these teachings, any exhortation from a scripture, any preacher you hear on television, radio stuff, if at the end of the day isn't pushing you closer to Jesus to be more God-like, Uh, it's not helpful and some of it quite frankly is just gives people license to send their little brains out and they don't even feel bad about it because they've taught been told not to feel bad about it no they'll say no brother we believe in grace you know we don't we don't believe in guilt and shame no guilt and shame you know well again the bible says there's no condemnation See, condemnation means you're dead, you're toast, there's nothing you can do about it. Well, we don't believe that. There's always something you can do about it. You can come to Christ and make it right. But to say you should never feel guilt and shame is absurd. I actually believe that if you do something guilty, you should feel guilty. If you do something shameful, you should actually feel shameful. You should actually have some conviction of the Holy Spirit. The only people, I've said this many times, the only people who never feel guilt and shame are psychopaths. They don't. If you look up the definition of a psychopath, it literally says a person who never feels guilt or shame for anything. They can take cats, put them in the microwave, watch them blow up. I think it's funny. They don't feel bad about anything. Torture animals, kill people. I mean, there's psychopaths. They're crazy people. And they never feel bad about And I don't think Jesus called us to go into all the world and preach a gospel that makes psychopaths out of everybody. That is not a healthy thing. Alright. Again, we're not Into condemnation. You're condemned, you're doomed, you're going to hell. There's nothing you can do about it. No, 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 no. But on the other hand, we are not into this idea that anything goes because the cross covers everything. All right. So, pushing us to God in the hope of eternal life, which God who does not lie. Now, when it says the hope of eternal life, you have to understand what the word hope means. The word hope is one of these words that has been totally change from its original meaning and in fact if you look it up it still is described as its original meaning. Uh, Hope means that you are absolutely assured of what you are uh, that is you've been promised. For example if you are out in the middle of the ocean and your boat goes and you're floating around on a raft and it seems like no one's ever going to rescue you. You feel hopeless, right? That's hopelessness. Then a plane spots you and circles around you and drops something to you. Uh, No, we'll getting some help. We'll be back. And they take off. Now they're still gone. You're still there. But now you are filled with hope. You have an absolute assurance that the promise of their return is going to happen. You're in a cave. You're caught. You're stuck. Someone comes around. They hear you. Oh, wait, I'll go get some help. They take off. You're still in the cave. It's still cold, you're still miserable, but now you are filled with hope. That's what hope means. It's the actual real definition of the word. You are filled with an assurance that what is promised will happen, all right? You're absolutely, you're absolutely positive. They're coming back. you know, not still, gee, I, I don't know. They said they'd come back, but maybe they went to McDonald's, you know, and got a cheeseburger and forgot about me. You don't think about it. Now that could happen. <laughs> but that's not likely to happen. You are filled with hope, this assurance. We sing about it when we sing that old song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. That song is great. That's what we're talking about, this wonderful hope. When we talk about the promise of eternity that has been given to us, we are now filled with hope. We are absolutely convinced that that which has been promised to us is actually going to happen. That's why you're here tonight. You're all filled with this hope, it becomes a reality. But the word hope now has been assaulted in the English language to mean wish. You know, do you think you win the lottery? I hope so. You know? Do you think you get to heaven? I hope so. You know, they don't get it. That kind of hope, that's not the hope they're talking about when they're talking the Bible hope. They're talking about this absolute assurance. You are filled with the yes, this is going to happen. Where you can face anything knowing. You can handle it, why? Because we are filled with hope, right? My wife and I, going through a very difficult time, uh, they have her home on hospice, she's looking death right in the eye, she's, and she's filled with hope. Not afraid, not sitting there, oh, I hope I get to heaven, you know, you know kind of wishing. No, no, there's not that kind of hope. There's this absolute assurance. What is going, we know what's going to happen. We're not hoping it's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. The good news, when we get out of here, we are going to be with Him for an eternity. He said, "Oh, hope so." No, not that kind of hope. We're not wishing it. We know it to be real. If you've been born again, if you have encountered Christ, you are filled with this glorious hope that the world does not understand. How can you be so sure? I don't know. (laughs) It's given by the grace of God. It's given by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God fills us with this hope. We're the people trapped in the cave. And he said, I found you. Woohoo! somebody found us. I'll be right back. Where'd he go? I don't know, but I'm very hopeful. I'm filled with hope. I know what's going to happen. So we're hopeful. I mean, it still sucks. (laughs) Nobody wants to die. (laughs) Nobody wants to even suffer. I don't even like cold french fries. I mean, I I had to be inconvenienced in any way, shape, or form. But we are filled with this glorious hope, and, and that's where we're at. She still has a great sense of humor, very macabre sense of humor. Pastor Joe came over the other day and, Debbie's sitting in this chair with her eyes closed just like this. And Joe's coming. She doesn't open her eyes. She says, and I come walking in and say, I got the mail. I said, oh, I got the mail. I said, oh, look, I got a card. I wonder what it says. And without missing a beat, with her eyes still closed, she said, dear Mark, is she dead yet? You know? <laughs> because we broke out laughing, okay, because that's funny. And Joe said, you, you guys have a very unique sense of humor, I got to tell you. <laughs> we do. We're very twisted. Why? Because we are filled with hope. Hallelujah. All right, so we have the hope, this absolute assurance of eternal life. That's why people do what they do. That's why you're in church when everybody else is sitting home watching TV. That's why you give money when most of people hang on to their money. Why would you give money? Good grief, that's crazy. It's my money, money, money. All right, you want to hang on to it. Why do we do that? Because we're filled with this absolute conviction. We know where it's going. We're going to invest into eternity. And we are laying up treasures for ourselves on the other side. Like I preached on Sunday, I had to pass a sermon Pastor Steve says, you can take it with you by investing it now on the other side. Absolutely. You can't take Sure you can. Now if you keep it all here for yourself, you ain't taking Jack. <laughs> but if you learn to give, sacrifice, benefit others, you can take it with you by investing into eternity. That's why we do these things. We're not wishing. We're not crossing our fingers. We're not trying to buy God's favor. We're not trying to earn. Maybe God will like us if we go to church and pray and be miserable no, 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 We're filled with this glorious If you have not been filled with this glorious hope, you're missing this. This is the key thing. This is how you know. You know that you know what's going on. So we have this hope of eternal life. Why? Because God doesn't lie. Because he promised it before the beginning of time. And which now at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. So Paul is... Classic for writing very long run-on sentences, blah blah blah, comma, blah 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 blah, comma, blah 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 blah, comma, blah. Anyway, so that all that was his opening line. He writes to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete, so now that's that. The, now we know where he is. He's on this island of Crete. Uh, the reason I left you in Crete was that. You might put in order what was left unfinished, which is what? To appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. So, this is his job. It was also Timothy's job. One of the things that they would really try to work on is trying to put elders and pastors and people of leadership in these churches. And anybody who knows anything about business knows the only way you can have a successful business that grows exponentially is to put people in place that you can trust. In fact, many people can't find that connection. So they stay a small business. They would rather stay a small business because they can't trust anybody. And, and for some of us, it's for good reason, you know. Because they don't know who to trust, right? People have ripped them off, so they just keep their own little shop. And we tried opening a shop the other time, but that guy just ripped me off, the manager. That's what happens. Because they don't have a system, that They don't have a way of figuring out how to put in leadership and stuff. And it's hard. It's really hard to find trustworthy people. Because a trustworthy person will tell you, you can trust me. And a lying piece of crap will say, you can trust me. You don't know. Right? Either way. And it becomes hard. So that's the challenge. Companies that succeed become huge corporations are people who have structures and systems in place where they they know how to find the right people. That they can duplicate their system all over the world. And they make millions of dollars because they're so successful. Well, the church is basically uh, challenged with this charge to go into all the world and preach the gospel and establish churches everywhere. The only way it'll work is if we put trustworthy people in every place. And so they were very strict about how to do that. And apparently it took time to do it. It took time to vet these people. You didn't just see, you know, well, he's kind of a nice guy. Let's make him the pastor, you know. So they really spent time grilling these people to find out if they were the kind of people uh, that they could uh, put in leadership. When, you read, when we read uh, the letters to Timothy, he gave a lot of detail. Uh, he doesn't give quite as much here, but we get the idea. So he says, an elder, I told you to put elders in every town as I directed you. And then he repeats, I'm sure, what he told him a dozen times or more before he ever left. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. If you have kids who are wild little hellions, you should probably not be an elder in the church. Since now, at what point? I'm assuming that's when they're under your charge. uh, At some point, every kid makes his own decision whether or not he's gonna serve God or not. And that can hardly be left to the charge of the father. There's a lot of people who serve God all their lives and their children just, they grow up and they want anything to do with Jesus. Well, I don't think that. I think it's talking about whether well, under your care, your control, they are respectful, they're under control, they acknowledge Christ, all these kind of things. Once they move past that, that's, that's a whole different ballgame. Because um, if that were true, there'd be all kinds of pastors. You'd have to pull out of the pastorship right away. Um, a man whose children believe, not disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, this elder... He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, uh, which always I find highly entertaining. Pastor Steve is from the Bible Belt, and the bulk of Christians down there believe that they only drank grape juice. (laughs) Jesus turned water into grape juice, which is always interesting because how do you get drunk if you're drinking grape juice? I've never understood how much you'd have to drink. To get, you know, it just makes no sense. It was wine. It's the kind of wine we have today. It wasn't grape juice to make the Southern Baptists happy. All right? (laughs) I mean, God bless them, but they're just wrong. They're all wrong. Now, people can choose not to drink. That's fine. But don't say the Bible says they all drink grape juice. It's nonsense. Absolutely. And if you doubt it, all you got to do is ask a Jewish person. When you do the Passover, is it grape juice or is it actually wine? Because the Last Supper was the Passover. Well, when they quit looking at you like you're some kind of an idiot, I was like, well, well, it's wine, of course. Never been great. It's always been wine. They've got 6,000 years of history behind all this stuff, so it's, a, you know, it's just an absurd thing. But having to say that it's fine to drink, you should not be getting hammered. Somebody say amen. amen. Oh, you Green Bay people. All right. <laughs> we Grab another bottle. All right. Uh, shouldn't be violent. Okay, Joe. No. <laughs> I don't know if Joe has a bone in his body. Uh, Not pursuing dishonest gain. Uh, Rather, he must be hospitable. Uh, It's kind of an interesting thing. You know, these are the people that like being with people. They're hospitable, inviting you into their homes and stuff like that. You know, how much and at what level this would disqualify some people, I don't know, you know. I mean, I know pastors who can't stand people. (laughs) You know, anybody like that, Steve? They just, they don't like people. They just don't like them at all. Yeah. They stay away from them, never invite anyone to their house. They basically hate people. But they're the pastor. <laughs> very odd. So someone could say, well, you shouldn't be that. So I don't know if one thing like this. You know, there's some people, they just don't, they're just very shy. Not that they're mean heart. I mean, they just, they don't, it's very uncomfortable for them to, to connect with other people. It's easier for them to get in front of a group of people and to express themselves than it is on on, on one-on-one. All right, Uh uh-huh. I am the most comfortable in front of a group of people. Always have been, I really am. But I'll still hang with you if it was just one-on-one. Although I might fall asleep if you're not entertaining. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I got the attention span of a fly, it's so bad. It's so bad, oh Lord. I just figured this age is not gonna change. You know, but people who talk too much, it doesn't take long. All I hear is wah, 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 I'm talking like 45. If you're talking to me 45 seconds and you haven't taken a breath yet, I have chain channels. I promise you. <laughs> if you want a very empathetic soul to listen to, call one of the other guys, man, because I ain't your guy. You know, Unless you doubt a funny story, then I'm in with you. Or you can take all day to tell me a funny story. Here's, well, I felt this, and la, 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 and then a fly came in the door, la, la, la. All I'm hearing is wah, 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 <laughs> It was hard. I used to, I was uh, a period of time when I wasn't in ministry, I had my own business, a video production business. And we had somehow, through context and just really the grace of God, wound up, doing productions for some really big rollers, you know, big companies, lots of money, or really famous political people in Washington, D.C., you know, and we'd come in and shoot their videos, and we'd do their commercials and all that kind of stuff, and made, made out like drunken monkeys. It was a beautiful thing, uh, especially every election season. Uh, but anyway, I remember, but they talked, so these people were talking to death. So I'm in this meeting, this meeting, you, you kill to get this meeting, okay? And finally I'm in, and I'm, w- I'm, I'm in this room with these big power brokers, Washington, D.C., and all they do is blah 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 blah, blah. and i and all I can hear the entire time is wah wah wah. wah wah wah, wah 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 wah, and then they finally said wah 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 wah. What do you think, Mark? <laughs> and I freaked because I had no idea what they were talking about, not a clue. I had not. I've been asleep for in my head for ten minutes. <laughs> what do you think? And I went. I don't know, Steve, what do you think? And then he started telling me what he thinks. I, oh, man, I saved my own butt that way. Because then I quick tuned in what they were talking about. But uh, anyway, it's bad. <laughs> bad, 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 bad. All right. Uh, rather, you must be hospitable. One who loves what is good and is sa- and who is self-controlled, which means control yourself. Everybody say control yourself. Control. All right, we're going to talk more about that in a minute. Upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Anyway, Titus has to do this. All these guys have to do this. Paul would establish these congregations. And he'd have to leave guys in place to get the right people in place. And uh, and just like with any business, it's the same challenge in churches. It's always the biggest challenge finding the right people, right? People you can trust. Uh, that are faithful people. Da, da, da. everybody can quickly give you a version of anything, but you don't really find out what they're like until later, right? We've all encountered people like this, so that's why it, it just takes time. It just took time to vet these people, so that's why Titus is stuck over at Crete. All right, um, why do you have to do this? For there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk, blah 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 blah, and deception. Especially those of the circumcision group. Now he's being very clear here. The circumcision group are the people who wanted to go back to the old Jewish laws. And in Jewish laws, they call them the circumcision group because the first thing you had to do if you're going to be part of this group, if you're a man, you have to get your wiener trimmed. All right, that's circumcised. If you weren't circumcised, you could not be part of the group, and you couldn't really be a Christian. And it's, so they're now everywhere they're going, all these places. These are full of uncircumcised people. They're not talking to Jewish people or to doctors. I mean, a lot of guys get circumcised today because it's just been the standard tradition for so many doctors for so many years. Uh, but back then, it wasn't like that. So the first thing, these guys would come in and they'd start demanding these guys all get trimmed. All right? Because that's what it says in the Old Testament. And I've warned you over and over again, every time somebody says, well, the Bible says, find out where it says it. If it's in this big, fat part, be very cautious. All right? I was saying we should stone homosexuals. You know, really, you idiot, shut up. Uh, well, that's what it says. Yeah, it's the Old Testament. Also said we should kill you if you curse. Or if you disobey your parents. Or if you work on Saturday. They'd kill you for all kinds of stuff, you know. So don't quote stupid stuff just to be mean to people and think you're being holy. It's not. And these people get obsessed with what you eat, what you can't eat. You need to just eat Ezekiel bread because it says in the Bible, it's bread from Ezekiel's formula. Well, they do have Ezekiel bread. You can actually find it in the store, but I don't care if you eat it. I don't want to eat it just because it says Ezekiel bread. (laughs) Seriously. I don't don't These circumcision, guys. Get away from me. I don't eat it. What's really bad for you? I'm going to eat that. Just because I'm set free, praise God. So they become obsessed with the Old Testament. The Judaizers, Pastor Steve and I were talking about that just before the service tonight. you find more of these guys down south, actually. They become obsessed. The good thing about Green Bay is we're really far away from the Bible Belt. <laughs> I am not kidding you. I love these people. I love this guy. He's not crazy like a lot of them, but a lot of them, they're just... <laughs> crazy. I had a descriptive version of crazy. I wish I... Should not say publicly, all right? So they're crazy. That's why, I up That's why you're trying to straighten me out. <laughs> Here he goes again. He's starting to cuss in the pulpit. So, you know, they're just crazy. And I know you guys, you know, a lot of you from the, you know, internet watch us down there and God bless you. And... Anyway. I hate cultural Christianity. I do. I just, I hate it. I shouldn't hate it. I shouldn't hate anything, but I, I really, it really irritates me to know when this, you know, grape juice only mentality and all this and Old Testament this and wanting to do that and circumcising that and the Old Testament says this and Stop. Stop. We just don't have that up here. Thanks be to God. Uh, On occasion, it pops up its little nose, but it doesn't seem to last very long up here. And for this, I am exceedingly grateful. So he says, don't listen to these people especially of the circumcision group. These people want to go back in the Old Testament. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain. Now I've never quite figured out or read anywhere where they've explained but apparently they had some scheme going that they would enrich themselves financially from these people. So that was one of their main motives is by getting these followers after them. Maybe it's because they take a piece of the offerings. I don't know, whatever it was. But they they would basically line their pockets. And Paul knew that. And it was just one of many reasons that ticked him off. And then Paul says one of the most politically incorrect statements you could ever say. What he's about to say, if he were to say that today, they would have him on CNN and marked as a bigot and a racist and a hate-filled person. All right, let us read and see what that might be. So he's ticked off about these guys who are from Crete. And he says, one of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Now change the word. Mexicans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Black people, oh, it's liars, lazy, brutes. Puerto Ricos, right? a bunch of lazy people sitting around on that island. You could never say something like this. In fact, it's shocking that he even says it. Because he's painting the whole group of people in this one thing. And he says, even their own people say this about themselves. Which actually, I went and looked and checked. It was actually true. They were apparently famous in antiquity for being known and referred to as a bunch of liars. But, oh my gosh, I'm reading this. I read this to my, my my wife. She goes, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> and then he says, after he quotes it, he says, and it's true. It's true. Now, obviously, he's thinking in a very broad sense. You cannot describe everybody. Oh my, can you imagine a politician saying anything like this? You, you know, Trump said that about Mexico. Yeah, that and stuff like that. I mean, this, this is that kind of statement that this is right here. And it's in the Bible. You got to put it in context, of course, today. That's the problem with politically correct stuff. They don't put anything in context. They wait for you to say one wrong, wrong word and they nail you to the wall. All these people sitting in these press conferences and all the people following any president, anybody, I don't care who it is, they just sit there and wait. They're waiting for one phrase that they can nail them about. And they blow it up. Out. And you have no idea what the context was at all. Uh, that's, I hate that stuff. Uh, so, hey amen. I do. I hate that stuff. This, I could say more, but I won't. All right. So, therefore, because they're this way, <laughs> rebuke them sharply, so they will be, of, be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure... All things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. This is one of the most misquoted and twisted portions of Scripture ever. And they still do it to this day. Usually by the people that I just described earlier that are into this all-incredible grace. What they think is no matter what you do, as long as you're pure... Everything is pure. To the pure, all things are pure, you know. Uh, You know, I mean, there's people, there's some of you, watch shows on HBO you ought not to be watching. And you know who you are, you sinners, all right. And you blow it off. Well, it's a good story. Yeah, but how do you get around all the porn? Well, you know, to the pure, all things are pure. No, porn never becomes pure because you're a believer. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Well, we can do this, we pure all things. It's not talking about taking sin and making it pure. The context is about the Judaizers. They were into food. He's talking about food. Because you can't eat food. If you eat something that's not been properly sanitized, which their word for it is, what is the word for it? <laughs> Kosher. It corrupts the body. And now you're a sinner. And he's saying, no, to the pure all things. are. But you can eat any stinking thing you want. Is what Paul taught. Uh, But those who are corrupt, everything's, you know, impure and and they're obsessed by that. Jesus came along. They'd get mad at Jesus about the same kind of things. He says, look, it's not what goes in the body that corrupts a person. It's what comes out of him, the heart. Corrupt, anger, bitterness, lust, all these horrible things. That's what messes you up, not what goes in. To these people, they're legalists and they got their rules. And if you break the rules and And that's what Paul is talking about. So any nimwit who tells you that he's smoking dope and it's all okay because to the pure, all things are pure, is in fact just a nitwit, all right? So he says okay to drink. There's a big difference between drinking and blowing dope. I know I have experience in both. <laughs> not recently, but uh, you can drink and not get hammered. Two or three tokes on good stuff, you are on another island, you know. It's not the same. All right. And people are asking, wasn't it all the same? No. Because you're talking instant intoxication. What Paul is talking about, don't be intoxicated. Don't mean that. You can drink an adult beverage and have a couple of beers and hang with your brother and not walk away. <laughs> and you can just sit in a car with other people blowing it. You're going to go, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Also experience that. All right, so. <laughs> <laughs> what are the pure things? Again, what is their teaching at that? It's away from godliness. The minute someone comes up, well, to the pure, all things are pure. it means you can do anything and you can look at anything. You can behave any way you want and go to any websites you want. All this, because to the pure, all things are pure. What is the end? It's pushing you away from being like God. It's encouraging in sin. That's how you know. Anything that pushes you further away from the truth of righteousness is not from God. Okay. So people quote in that verse, and this is a boy, oh, they do this big time, it's one of their favorite verses. People who like to do all kinds of disgusting things they should not be doing. We are brothers of the pure, all things are pure. Yeah. <clears throat> in fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted, Paul says, about these people. They claim to know God, but by their actions, everybody say actions. They deny him. See, it's really, at the end of the day, what you do is what really matters. And I'm going to get into that more in just a second. But, you know, people get so obsessed about how they feel about everything. And I get it in the purest sense. We should always feel the purest of things. But at the end of the day, is what you do is what really matters. Okay, your actions set you apart one way or the other. So by the actions, they deny them. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. You, however, Titus must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, everybody say self-controlled, and sound in the faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older woman to be reverent in the way they should live, not to be slanderers. Did you hear about Susie? Oh, let's pray for her because she's a real witch. That one, that's You can say you're praying, but you're still just slandering people. Zip it, sunshine, okay? Don't be a slanderer or addicted to much wine, but teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled, everybody say, self-controlled. We've got a pattern going here. And be pure. To be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. He's really, we'll see this as we go along here. He's really trying to get Christians to act right. So that when people look at Christianity, all they see are really great people. And that becomes a great witness in the world. And it can't be maligned because they are trying to malign them big time. In fact, they're on the verge of uh, uh, Nero coming into power and horrible persecution of Christians that's just off the charts and all of this because they were trying to malign these people of faith. Uh, but they had to just make stuff up because if they were actually living this stuff out, they were difficult to malign. They were really nice people. They were good people. They did things the right way, loved their families, did the right things. By the way, the ladies, it says the older women should be teaching the younger women. And that's exactly what should be happening. Okay? You younger girls who are struggling in life with your little monkey faced chubby little creatures and irritating husband and all that kind of stuff you know who you should go talk to not the other women your own age who are as miserable as you yeah go talk to some older women who know what they're talking about who have some experience how did you do it how did you raise your children how did you keep going to to church when you wanted to stay home and stab your husband to death how did how did you keep doing these things and learn from them now the problem here is oftentimes older women don't want to spend time with the younger ones because they tend to suck the life out of them <laughs> and i know it because i'm i don't tell you you're younger drive me crazy ladies you older ones and i'm talking about really old like 40 all right <laughs> i'm just, I'm just teasing you here okay so the all really You should find ways to put yourself in positions where, and you girls should know that you should be able to seek these ladies out. I don't know how you make this happen. Every church struggles with this. But at some point, it should be happening. The younger ones should be going to the older ones. Learn how they do life. Find someone who's been married for a really long time, and they know how to do it. Ask them about your marriage problems. Not to the other girl who is as miserable as you, or probably more miserable than you. I mean this sincerely. They're not going to help you, okay? And I tell single girls this all the time, you know, you know who they ask about dating and finding husbands? Other single women. You know, that's I like go to the Chicago Bears that find out how to win a game, all right? <laughs> now you're preaching, praise God, hallelujah! Oh, that was just nasty. All right. Forgive me, Lord. All right. So, anyway, uh, you go to people who are, and seriously, I mean, you want to go find out from life. You single girls, you're wondering, how do I find a husband? Go talk to married girls. They know how to do it because they did it. They know how to play the game, right? You don't go to teams that don't know how to play the game because they're just, you're going to run around in circles. (laughs) All right. Where am I? I don't even know where I am. Oh, verse 6. So we talk to the old guys. We talk to the older ladies about helping the younger ladies. Then encourage the young men to be what? Self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness. So pastor, you're never serious. I'm deadly serious. I'm always deadly serious. I'm serious, serious about being serious. I make people laugh because I get bored I gotta make somebody laugh just to stay focused myself. But, even in my silliest presentations, I am deadly serious. I am one of the most conservative, as much as I get irritated by Bible Belt Christianity, people say, well, are you liberal? I am extremely conservative. I take the Bible very seriously and I think it means what it says and it says what it means. And I don't buy into all this other nonsense. I just do it in ways that are entertaining. Okay? So it's all said, And all my marriage stuff, again, gets people laughing. Because when you get people laughing, they let down their guard. And then you can slap them. <laughs> and then they laugh some more. It's a beautiful thing. All right? So don't think I'm not serious. I'm very serious. Uh, and uh, show seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed. Because they have nothing bad to say about you. That's a good way to live. Teach slaves. Now, we don't have slaves today, but we have things close to slaves. They're called employees. (laughs) Teach them to be subject to their employers, masters and everything. Try to please them. Don't talk back to them. Not steal from them. Show them that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. We should so be marked as productive, positive people. Of course, you can't do it because it'd be illegal. (laughs) because of all the political correctness, but to the point where employers would find out someone's a Christian and they want to hire Christians because they become the best employees. That's really where we should, we should be those kinds of people. We should be the best of the best all the time. The hardest workers, the most committed people, the kindest, most patient, long-suffering, blah, stinking blah. So that people would, man, I want to be like them. I want those people around me. I want to hire those kinds of people. That's the kind of impression Christians should be leaving all around the world. All right? Uh, So that in every way they can make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God has appeared. And that's what I've been trying to get at to. Is that clock right? I got 13 minutes left. Is that correct? Okay. Thank you. Um, The grace of God has appeared. The what has appeared? Grace. Okay. The grace of God. This grace that everybody talks about. We believe in grace, Pastor. We believe in grace. Don't make people feel bad. We believe in grace. Don't tell people to not look at. Porn. I've had pastors. I'd I've be I've talking, challenging men, and the pastor literally get right after I got to say, "Well, now, we don't want anybody to feel bad, and yeah, we understand you're some, you some of you got to look at porn and masturbate." And it's okay. It's, oh, I just want to run and stab them, but that's wrong. So, <laughs> so I've heard. But it's this obsession. They, they, you, the minute you make somebody feel bad, they come glued. And they say, that's not grace. Really? Let's look at what grace is. He's about to define to us grace. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us. What teaches us? Grace. It teaches us to say what? No. If your version of grace does not grab your own neck and say, stop it, you're not living in grace. True grace teaches you to say no to the stuff that is wrong. Grace isn't a covering so you can do wrong. Because the cross covers everything. That's not grace. That's absurdity and stupidity. And it pushes you further away from God, not closer to God, and certainly not be more like God. True grace teaches you to say no. I should be able to stand up in every church and tell guys, don't do that. Without the pastor getting up, three seconds after I get say, well, we don't want guys to feel bad. Really, well, we believe in grace. That's not grace. I don't know what he thinks grace is, but he's a nitwit. That is not grace. Grace, true grace, teaches us something. It teaches us to say no. You can literally say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live how? Self controlled. Now, here's the thing about self control yourself, your body, your flesh, it's not your friend. Okay, it's not. It's the part of you that is hopelessly poisoned and cannot be redeemed. The only answer for this is the grave, and you will rot away to dust. Then a new resurrection will come, and we will receive new bodies. Your spirit and soul will be with Christ, but until your body gets raised again, you'll still be incomplete. All those who have left, they're in the presence of Christ. They're still not really complete. It's not until the resurrection where we all get back to where we're supposed to be. Body, soul, and spirit. But he can't just touch this body and make it right. right. It's, It's hopeless. It's hopeless. It cannot be saved. Your spirit and your soul, thank God, can be saved. And you will receive a new body. But this part of you has been poisoned by sin. It is the part of you that wants to punch people in the face. It's the part of you that wants to run over people who are driving too slow in front of you. It's the part of you that wants to strangle your mother-in-law because she never shuts up. All right? It's the part of you that wants to punch the pastor, which you should never ever do. <laughs> it's the part of you that makes you get angry and bitter and keep rehearsing over and over again what that guy did to you. I'll never forget what that guy did. He did that thing to me. I did that thing. Constantly. And it just all that craziness, that unforgiveness and bitterness is all because of this. That's what this does. It's the part of you, men, you see some pretty girl and you feel like going, ee, e, 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 right? That's that part of you. It's in your head. It is there all the time. But we have learned by the grace of God to say no. And to control this thing. You can control it. Now, I have people all the time that listen to me and they, say, and they write me and say, Pastor Mark, you know, I got a real porn problem, you know, and, and I just keep praying, God, take away these feelings. Have you ever heard this? Take away the feelings. They, 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 no. He'll never, if you are ever praying, God, take away these feelings, you're praying the wrong prayer. The only way God can get rid of those feelings is to kill you physically because those feelings come from this. This beautiful face. As the beauty of Christianity, the beauty of grace, the beauty of the fruit of the Spirit of God in you is we don't have to do what we feel. Do not let your feelings define you. If you think, well, uh, I know I shouldn't be drinking fast right over, I, I pray God to take away these feelings, you just say, because you don't get this. He won't take away your feelings. You'll feel like getting plastered all the rest of your life. That's the feeling that's in your body. I don't have that. It doesn't bother me. never has. I, I got other issues. <laughs> but I mean, that's not, that's never been one of them. But just people, that's a major issue. People like for drugs. Oh, but I, I can't, I can't stay, say no to these drugs because I just keep having these feelings and I keep praying God take away these feelings. You don't get it. You don't get it. That, it's not about praying. He's not going to take away those feelings, those feelings to a true drug addict. That sense, that pull, that draw will likely stay with you till the day you die. Isn't that a lot of fun? That's why you shouldn't go there in the first place. Somebody say amen. Amen. Those who have been very sexually immoral will find those temptations pulling at you for the rest of your life. The young men and women that grow up in our church that listen to this good-looking man here and don't do all those wrong things and they don't even have their first sexual experience until they're married, doing a right They don't have the problems a lot of men have today which is this pulling and this desire and stuff because they never did it. Once you do it, it gets into this flesh And even when you want to do the right thing, it's still at some part it's kind of pulling at you. I want to do the wrong thing. It's called temptation. The temptation is risen up. It comes from Satan or our own flesh, James said, is pulling you in this direction. Okay, what's the answer? Grace. Grace, I don't have to do what I feel. Pastor, I feel like getting drunk. Isn't it great? Why? Because you don't have to do it. What? What? You don't have to do it. Nobody has to do any of these things. Some of you guys that struggle with porn, oh, fast, I can't stop. Oh, yeah, I know. Porn gnomes drag you out of bed in the middle of the night, force you in front of a computer, and make you yank on yourself, for heaven's sake. You can't control yourself. It's absurd. Seriously, if I cut off a finger every time you did it, I bet you'd stop. I'm sure, I'm fairly certain. At some point, I ain't doing this no more. because you can control yourself now without Christ self control is extraordinarily rare for people that's the beauty of the power of the Holy Spirit in us the fruit of the Spirit is self control and if you're having a hard time with self control the answer isn't to try harder the answer is to be more filled with the Spirit are you getting this the more of the Spirit of Christ you have in you the more self control you have the easier it is to control that which wants to say yes you can say no Stop it. Because you actually have self-control. What did he say to the older guys? Control yourself. What did he say to the ladies? Control yourself. What did he say to the young guys? Control yourself. All of them, control yourself. Why? Because the grace of God has appeared and it teaches us to say no and we can do this right here. Not when we die and go to heaven. No, 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 no. He says we can live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Right here, right now. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearance. And appearing of, our, of the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and appear himself for people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That's what all this is about, the dying off the cross, the sending of the Holy Spirit, the church gathering together, prayer, all these things that we do is so that we can live victoriously in this life. And those who are not living victoriously, it's not because they can't. It's because the devil has lied to them and convinced them because they feel it, they have to do it. People say, "Well, Pastor, I feel like cheating on my wife. What should I do?" Don't cheat on your wife. Or well, I feel it. So what? People, young young people, uh, I feel like I might be gay. What should I do? Don't be gay. Well, I can't help it. Yes, you can. All this, you can control all of it. All of it. I know the world says they can't. Right. the whole thing about we're all animals that's why this idea of evolution is so important if you don't get this idea of evolution you can't buy into all their crap because their crap is you're an animal and you can't deal with it you have to do it my cat my cat (laughs) he's so old I keep telling him move toward the light Move toward the light. The cat he's just a dumb cat. He just there's no reasoning. He just does whatever nature just wants. Every does what cats do. (laughs) And for the last few years, he's been howling like a demon possessed person in the middle of the night. Anybody have a cat like that? I guess that's the thing about getting old. They will literally start going. Now, when you're dead asleep. And you hear a demon in the next room going, Urgh! that freaks you out. Until they find the it's just a stupid cat. Stop doing that. Dogs do what dogs do. There's nothing they can do about it. If you don't know what gender you are, you can't help it. You're just confused. You have no control. You feel like you're going to make love to the same person of the same sex. You have no control. You're going to cheat on your wife. You have no control. I actually, teach that as well. It's the, uh, the unfaithful gene is what it's in us, you know. Men need to spread their seed, you know. We learned this in evolution. The only way we, we ever evolved is to be s- seed spreaders. <laughs> and these are people with degrees who've been highly educated saying such stupid things. I got news for you. You're not an animal. You are made in the image and likeness of God Almighty. Amen. And you can control yourself. Now without Christ, lots of luck. They struggle. They'll try. It's almost impossible. And some of you have remembered that. So you couldn't do it before so you think you still can't do it. Now. You don't understand. Once we have trans- been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the rules have changed. You know? But you've got to learn to grow it. You've got to learn. Learn the force. I love those movies, I mean it's crazy but there's so many spiritual realities or analogies in that stuff you know, teaching them not to trust themselves the, you know, of course it's probably weird religions in their heads, I'm just, from a Christian you can immediately relate to all those things and you can like, yes, yes I need to learn to trust God I need to learn to trust the spirit of God in me the power of God in me, why, I'm different the force is powerful with this one I have the spirit of God in me Ooh. Hallelujah Those are not the droids you're looking for <sighs> Alright What am I talking about Oh Final thing about Self-control uh, Anybody ride horses Horse riders Yeah I hate that stuff Okay <laughs> Oh, They're nice animals You know I guess. I don't know. It's hard to respect an animal that eats all day long. I don't quite get it. But anyway, uh, but horses they're the big, powerful animals. And when you sit on them and you put a a, a saddle on them and stuff like that, you you need to learn to control the animal. Because it doesn't really want you there. (laughs) Have Have you ever noticed this? They're not really crazy about the idea of trotting along in a direction they don't want to go. Okay, but you do it because you learn to control the animal because it, it doesn't want to go where you want it. It wants to go where it wants to go and it would rather be sitting around eating grass than running with you on its back. <laughs> All right, but you, but you learn to go. But there's some horses that they can tell you don't know what you're doing. Okay, I have had such an experience. So <laughs> you, you remember Jack Thompson's farm? He has some demon-possessed horses there, man. I don't know what the heck. So I'm, I'm stupid enough to get on one of them one day. And uh, this is in Tennessee. And, and, and it's beautiful, these rolling hills. You know. What I'm and in between them, they call them the hollers, you know, in there. And some of them are not very big. I mean, like from over here to here, there's just nothing but high hills going up and stuff like that. So I get on this horse. And uh, it doesn't take long before the horse gets a sense. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. And I don't like him. So he all of a sudden just bolts, takes off, and starts running up the side of one of these hills as fast as he can. This thing was fast. Like, oh bully. Nothing I did had any effect because I didn't know what I was doing. And then the horse cut and he started running sideways along the hill. As close as possible to every tree, <laughs> branch, and log that he could get to trying to knock me off. And I'm like, Aww! and I'm freaking out. Stop! I'm yelling. Aww! And then he turns and he starts heading straight down the hill. I mean, he is really going fast now. And like, ah, just he at full gallop as fast as he can go. And he's heading for this little pond. Okay? But it's not a pond pond. It's like a cesspool pond. Right? It's full of caca and all kinds of stuff like that. I mean, it's like, ugh. So he's running straight for it down this hill. and am going, ah! And he got as close as he could at full gallop and cuts away. I go flying through the air. It's like slow motion. And I'm going, oh, no! And just, right by the edge of that thing. Oh, thank you, God. I'd still be traumatized to this day if I'd have fallen in there. <laughs> I had no control of the horse, okay? The horse had control of me. The good news is it's kind of like the analogy of our flesh. If, if this is controlling you, if this just makes every decision for you, you're, you're going to struggle as a Christian. The good news that Paul is saying here is that we have the Spirit of God that empowers us, the grace of God that enables us to say no, to control ourselves, and quit listening to how you feel. If I live by how I feel, I would be in jail. I'm certain of it. Because I feel some very inappropriate inappropriate things sometimes. I just do, always have. You know, it's just that fleshly part of you. And what what do you do? I don't do anything. I don't do it. Why? Because I don't have to. Because I know I can say no. You don't have to do what you feel. When you feel like cursing someone out, you can stop and say, I don't have to do it. You don't. When you want to lay on your horn, ah, go away. You realize that's me in front of you, you know, because I drive like an old man. You know, you, you don't have to do that. If you just keep a sense of who you are, you are a child of God. We are royalty, people, and the Spirit of God's in us. The grace of God teaches us. So I got to learn it. That's right. He said it teaches us. Sometimes it takes a while to get the hang of it, but it teaches you. you don't have to do what you feel. At some point, the feelings become irrelevant and the the feelings will just come and go and and so what. All that temptation, it'll always always be there. You'll be an old man and you'll still be tempted to do whatever. But the good news, we don't have to do it. We're free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Help us to learn the glorious truth about grace. In Jesus' name, And everybody said, amen. 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 Bye-bye.